Good morning. It's 830. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, analysis of Donald Trump's historic victory over Hillary Clinton in yesterday's presidential election from political strategists Austin Barber and Brandon Jones. Then, voices of voters from the polls. I'm a union member, so I voted for Hillary. The Democratic Party's always supported our unions, and I'm sure since the beginning of unions, and it's very important to me. It's my livelihood. Uh, For the most part, I voted Republican entirely. I feel like the government should stay out of most things, really, as long as you're not doing anything horrible. I don't think it should really matter what you do with your life. And telehealth in Mississippi. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi, the country and the world are still wrapping their minds around it. Donald Trump is president-elect of the United States, defying polls and prominent members of his own party. Republican Trump defeated Democrat Hillary Clinton by winning the Electoral College. Clinton called Trump to concede shortly before 3 a.m. Eastern Time. With us this morning to provide analysis on the historic election are Democratic strategist Brandon Jones and Republican strategist Austin Barber. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. morning. A long night. I can hear it in your voices already. Um, In his speech last night, Trump sounded conciliatory and opened a door to his opposition. Can we take something from that regarding how he might govern? Austin? Listen, I think so. I hope so. I mean, listen... um and it was a long night for us. I think I'm going on two hours of sleep, so I'm going to try to sound sensible today. But as I've tweeted several times, um, if you were for Donald Trump, you were against Donald Trump, you were lukewarm or you were in love with Donald Trump, he's the president of the United States. And the way that our country works is we have to try to come together. When Barack Obama was elected president in 2008 and 2012, um, there were many people that were unhappy with that. But you had to at least say – I pray for him. I pray for our country. I wish the best. Do you think this compares to Barack Obama's victory? Well, I think they're just totally different. I mean, I mean, I, I think that um, I think that this was the biggest upset in at least modern political history, at least of the 20th and the 21st century. It has to be. I mean, it just has to be. Nobody gave this guy a chance, including me. I'm the first to say I didn't think he would win. I'm trying to project and say who's going to win. I, I, I didn't think he could win, but he did, and he shocked the world. He, he literally shocked the world. So we have to hope for the best that the man that we saw last night will be the man who will govern. And I think and I hope that that's, that's, that's accurate, that the guy who wanted – to, to unite and unify the country and say, I want to do what's best for America, will be the guy who will go work with Congress to get things done that's best for America. Brandon, can Democrats and those who voted against Trump forgive his past transgressions? I think that Austin is correct in the sense that you really have to. I mean, and, and what I mean by that is moments like this for those of us who – opposed Donald Trump and who were hopeful that he would not win this election, um, you have to ask yourself, how fragile do you think this country is? And and my, my comment is that I, I think it's not as fragile as some people make it out to be. I think we have a strong country. I think we have a country that's stronger than the outcome of one election. And I think that you have to get up in the morning, 
go to work, continue to do the things that you do. And for Democrats, it's going to it's going to be a process because I don't think that it's easy at this stage in the game to understand all the implications of this. But I hope that the party will continue to look for opportunities to make America greater and make America better and and try not to, you know, not not sit here and uh, not sit here and wallow in it. I think that's a bad posture. I don't think that's a helpful posture. Before we move forward in his expected presidency or, or anticipated what we can anticipate, you know, Austin, we heard words last night, stunning, shocking, unbelievable. Why did Donald Trump win this election? Um. I think I have lots of maps here in front of me and lots of pieces of paper with with election results. Um, I think there's two things. Then there's sort of parallel tracks. One is about him and one is about Hillary. I think we have to have to say that. And I'm not trying to pile on Hillary Clinton, but I think we have to look at these. Uh, about him, there is there was clearly voters were screaming throughout the country, we want something different. I hate to use the word change, but we want something different within Washington, D.C. Donald Trump was the perfect vessel for that, the perfect vehicle for that. Here was a guy, broad shoulders, strong words, would say what he thought, um, very much a populist, ran an economic populist campaign, which Goodness gracious, did it speak to the Midwest, to the Rust Belt. It spoke to places like Ohio and Michigan and Minnesota and Wisconsin and all these states in Pennsylvania, states that Republicans only dreamed about. And I just think Hillary Clinton underperformed Barack Obama in a tremendous way. I mean, Obama got 65 million votes four years ago. She's going to be about 60 million votes. Trump's going to probably just uh, exceed uh, Romney, but, but not by a lot. I think it has to do with both people. Yeah, you, you know, we knew there was an anger quotient among this electorate. We knew that there was some appetite for change. What I don't think anybody fully got their arms around until these election results was that that anger quotient was a lot higher than we anticipated. Folks wanted to take an etch-a-sketch to their government, and that's what they've done. I think it creates all kinds of governing problems. I think a Trump White House with a kind of... A, 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 a bit of a House of Representatives at war with itself um, is going to be a governing problem. I don't know that we know a lot of the policy points of this president. So I think we can anticipate some type of attack on Obamacare. But when you get past that from a policy perspective, it's very unclear. But folks were angry. Another interesting footnote, though, it looks like Hillary Clinton could wind up with more votes overall win the popular vote, lose the electoral college. That's not clear. There's still there's still some ballots to be counted. Which is what happened with Al Gore and George That's Bush. right. So this is this is interesting, and, and it goes back to some of the things that Austin raised. Not only when you lose an election is there a certain incumbent responsibility in how you handle that. There's a responsibility. He does not have a mandate, okay? He, he won an election, but this is not a mandate. He's probably going to go in uh, with a lost popular vote. He's going to have to find a way to reach out to those Americans who feel devastated by this, who feel some sense of loss by this. What about leaders in his own party? You know, he has dissed some of the people that sort of had to support him. Well, let me answer that, but I want to answer – I want to rebut Brandon just a little bit. And this is a little odd to me for me to say this, but I think he does have a mandate. And I think he has a mandate, and it's, it is odd to say that, knowing that, yes, he, he may end up losing the popular vote. But when you look at the map, 
when you look at the congressional districts, when you look at the counties, when you look at the total number of states, it 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 for me, I feel like I can make the argument. But that I guess, man, that's whatever we can argue. I guess about it's semantics. He's that's he's right. not he's, he's not go illegitimate. This was not yeah, an illegitimate right. victory. Oh, I would say no, that. no doubt. Yeah. I mean, it was a, a sweeping victory in in, in many ways. Um, but listen, no, he's got to go to Washington now. He's caught the car. He's the dog that's caught the car, and they got to go govern. Republicans, we've got to go govern. And I and I and this he campaigned in a tremendous way about. Um, fiscal issues, not just tax cuts, uh, but sort of populist fiscal issues on trade. Um, and, and we'll see what he does. He's got to go do something on immigration. They're going to have to go do something on health care. We've got the House. We've got the Senate. You know, Senator Roger Wicker, of course, led the charges as chairman of the National Republican Senatorial Committee. It looks like they're going to be at 5347, which I think is one seat up. Nobody thought that. Congratulations to Senator Wicker. Tremendous job by him and his staff and his team, and I'm so pleased about that. Now we've got to go govern, and we've got to go get some things done in the next two years. Brandon, let me ask you, now that the Republicans have the presidency, the House, and the Senate, will Democrats have a voice in Washington? Well, yes. I mean, Democrats are are not a um, they're 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 not nearly as diminished as it probably seems the day after an election. I mean, this is still a party that went into yesterday thinking that they would have the run up the score. Now, there's nothing like a a result or a scoreboard to kind of straighten you out on where you are. So I, I think that our sense of ourselves was probably a little bit overinflated, but you still have strong leadership on the on the hill. You still have a lot of folks who are governing states uh, in state legislatures across the country. And and look, fifty three forty seven is is still not a super majority. It still is a uh, a, a very closely held. Um, you know, division there in the Senate. And so, yeah, they, there's still a voice. And, and, and I think that you'll, you'll have to see the Democrats in Washington strike a, as we talked about, a conciliatory posture as they sort of figure out next steps. And Republicans, listen, we didn't have a brutally bitter primary, but we had a very tense primary and afterwards. And there were a lot of Republicans um, who said, I don't know about Donald Trump. Those Republicans have got to say, um, whether they voted for him by holding their nose or they wanted to sprint to the to the polls to stand in line for two hours, you have to say, this is our president. We're going to support him. We're going to give him the benefit of the doubt and pray that he's going to be the man that he was last night when he gave his victory speech and that he will work with Congress and get things done. We just we do not need to argue amongst ourselves. Let me ask you finally, both of you. Will there be any direct effect of this presidency on Mississippi? Uh, I think yes. I mean, first of How all, so? well, first of all, I think because of the presidential race last night and Donald Trump's huge turnout, that we now have a majority in the U.S. Senate. That Cochran will be chairman of appropriations for two more years. Roger Wicker is the bell of the ball in Washington in the U.S. Senate because it's his efforts that allowed the Republicans to maintain control. I, I, I don't know what that means exactly for him, but it can only be positive. Here you have Phil Bryan as our governor, who was one of the main um, major elected officials, state elected officials around the country, who was out there for Donald Trump. Does that mean a cabinet position for Phil Bryant? I don't know. He probably wants to continue to be governor, not go to Washington and do that. But he certainly can pick up the phone and get anybody in the in the in the um, Trump White House on the phone to help Mississippi if if there's an issue that's needed.
Brandon? The working Mississippians who clearly came out and supported Donald Trump are going to feel this acutely. We're going to see uh, stock markets have a hard time dealing with this. It's vast uncertainty on the economic scale. Um, We're probably going to see the introduction of a more regressive tax. Uh, The Paul Ryan tax code is very problematic for working people, and Mississippians are not going to see that type of acute relief that I think they were hoping for when they cast this protest vote. Health care is going to be very much in doubt. I feel certain that one of the first policy priorities for this new regime is going to be to take down Obamacare. What that looks like, how the private markets respond, um, is going to be very dicey. And so I think that you're talking about folks who cast a vote hoping for overwhelming change without being too concerned with what that change agent was. But the problem from a policy standpoint is the policy that we've heard so far is not the type of policy that's going to lift the boats of a working class. Well, you got to give them the benefit of the doubt. We have to give them the opportunity to go govern and see what they come forth. I mean, look, he's the guy who wrote the art of the deal. He may be willing to go and try to compromise some with Dems to try to get things done. And then obviously the Supreme Court uh, vacancy that he's going to get to immediately fill. That didn't even hit me last night, really, until I went to bed early this morning. He's going to get to appoint the next Supreme Court justice. Ruth Bader Ginsburg's probably on her way out, too. Uh, he'll get to obviously appoint her and whoever else comes while he's president. It's just, it is an amazing turn in, in American history and American politics. We need to stop right there. Republican strategist Austin Barber and Democratic strategist Brandon Jones, thank you for coming in. Thank you. Up next, voices of Mississippi voters as they exercise their right to vote. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Bologna Performing Arts Center at Delta State University, presenting the evening of Contemporary American Dance, featuring the Parsons Dance Company of New York on November 10th. Details at bolognapac.com. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Information on how to make good health a family affair is available at bcbsms.com. Live healthy, live blue. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. More than a million Mississippians went to the polls yesterday, voting for president, House of Representatives, Supreme Court judges, and others. Voters braved long lines and rain to cast their ballots. We went to the polls as well to talk to some of the voters. First, correspondent Matt Kessler speaks with Matthew Guthrie of Oxford. Was it hard for you to make your choice? No, not really. I knew who I was going to vote for for a while. I didn't even watch any of the debates because I kind of had my mind made up from the get-go. Would you tell us about who, would you be willing to share who that is you voted for? Yeah, I voted for Trump. And would you tell us why that is? Um, just, I, his values kind of line up with my values. I'm a pretty conservative guy. Um, was raised a conservative, and that's just, you know, that's how I lean. So that's why I voted for him. Next, Matt Kessler speaks with Gina of Oxford. How about this election? Was it hard for you to make your decision? Not at all. I've heard a lot of people state that it's literally choosing between the lesser of two evils. But there are so many things that Clinton has done that Trump hasn't even begun to do. He is a racist. He's a bigot. He's a xenophobe. It's not something that I will support for my daughter's future. MPB's Evelina Burnett speaks with Paxton Markle of Biloxi. How was the... How was the experience? Did you have to wait a long time? or No, ma'am. It was quick. It was easy and got through real quick. So why did you decide to come out and vote today? 
because I feel like it's important for anybody anybody in the American population to vote. And uh, so this is your first time to vote for a presidential candidate. Um, how did that? How did you feel? Um, I can't really say that I felt anything too strong yet. I guess I'll find out when they uh, announce all the winners. Will you tell me who you voted for? Uh, for the most part, I voted Republican entirely. So. Okay. Okay. Do you feel strongly about any issues or, or candidates? Um, to be completely honest, I feel like the government should stay out of most things. And really, as long as you're not doing anything horrible, like murdering people or committing acts of terrorism, I don't think it should really matter what you do with your life. And Evelina Burnett speaks with Jennifer Griffith of Biloxi. I'm a union member, so I voted for Hillary. You know, why are you supporting her? Because I'm in a union, and uh, the Democratic Party's always supported our unions, and I'm sure since the beginning of unions, and it's very important to me. It's my livelihood, so, um, and I don't trust Donald Trump. So uh, that's the reason why I voted the way I did. Those were voters in Oxford and Biloxi on how and why they were casting their votes. Up next, telehealth in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. This week on All Things Considered, what to expect from a new Republican era in Washington. We must reclaim our country's destiny and dream big and bold and daring. We have to do that. GOP leaders promise to undo the Obama legacy. We'll look at what it means for the country and the rest of the world. Listen to All Things Considered every afternoon. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. Mississippi has one of the worst doctor shortages in the country. How can this lack of access to health care be cured? Telehealth is the delivery of health care using technology. It is a video interactive system so that he's on one end of the camera, your mother-in-law's on the other end of the camera. Anything that you can think of doing in person, we can do through telehealth. Can telehealth be Mississippi's virtual lifeline? Tonight at 9 on MPB-TV. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi has one of the worst doctor shortages in the country. And with doctors in short supply, rural citizens across the state struggle to access care. Health care providers, hospitals, and private businesses are looking to solve these access problems by using technology. MPB's Catherine Rodemeyer reports for Southern Remedy on how providers and patients connect through telehealth. Dr. Lee Greer is the only gerontologist in northeast Mississippi. He says over the past several years, he's given up his nursing home practice because of travel time, but technology is connecting him to these patients again. With telehealth, just this morning I saw patients in Iuka, Pontotoc, and I didn't have to travel anywhere but just to my office here. 90-year-old Melba Pugh is at the Pontotoc Nursing Home, 27 miles away from Dr. Greer. Her daughter-in-law, Denise, says this type of visit was recommended by her mother-in-law's primary care doctor. It is a, a video interactive system so that he's on one end of the camera, your mother-in-law's on the other end of the camera, and he can take care of her, examine her, talk to her, interact with her, and make medical decisions. Hey, 
How are y'all? How have you been feeling? Melipew is seated in front of a large monitor with a high-resolution web camera mounted to the top. Just like Skype or FaceTime, she can see Dr. Greer at his desk on the screen. Dr. Greer can see her on his computer from his office in Tupelo. The attending nurse at the nursing home assists Dr. Greer with the exam. Denise Pugh says seeing a specialist provides the extra care her mother-in-law needs. He was able to make medication changes, change some of her therapies. He made a referral to uh, one of our psychiatrists so that she can seek additional care for her dementia. And that visit was also available by the video interactive. So that was very beneficial for her and for us. Anything that you can think of doing in person, we can do through telehealth. Michael Adcock is director of the Center for Telehealth at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Telehealth is the delivery of health care using technology in its simplest forms. In Mississippi, telemedicine is has to be both audio and video. So when the legislature set up the reimbursement rules and changed the codes in Mississippi, to allow for telemedicine, they set it up as a live audio-video interaction. The University of Mississippi Medical Center started telehealth in 2003 to support rural emergency rooms. Now other health systems in Mississippi and telehealth companies are expanding care and access options in the state. Rural clinics may connect to larger facilities for specialty care. And for basic urgent care, telehealth is used in corporate health programs and discount pharmacies. And with a credit card, Mississippians can independently access a health care provider located anywhere in the country through a website or app. Michael Adcock at the Center for Telehealth. So right now to provide telehealth in Mississippi, you have to be licensed in Mississippi. Obtaining a Mississippi medical license is now more streamlined for physicians whose primary practice is in another state because of a new law. There are interstate medical licensure compacts. The governor just signed for us to be a part of that compact that says if you're licensed in Mississippi, they provide an expedited means of having that licensure in other states. It will allow us to spread our program outside of Mississippi. It will also allow others to spread their care inside Mississippi. Critics say some uses of telehealth will fragment care, but electronic house calls for those with chronic illnesses offer promise. I was diagnosed with diabetes in 1995. Leroy Henderson, a retired high school coach from Mount Bayou, participated in the 18-month Diabetes Telehealth Network study. High-speed Internet connection and a tablet with monitoring software allowed healthcare practitioners from the University of Mississippi Medical Center to watch his blood glucose levels in real time. He is among 200 Delta residents who participated in the study. Good morning, Coach Henderson. Good morning, Melissa. How are you? Melissa Odom is a registered nurse at the Jackson-based Center for Telehealth. I had gotten your glucose reading, and it was a little bit high, so I was a little worried about you. Well, everything's going fine. I think it was what I had to eat last night. The data streamed from the patient to the monitoring site allowed the provider to coach and educate. This attention helped patients avoid complications associated with chronic disease. Michael Adcock with the Center for Telehealth. In the first 100 patients, first six months, there were zero ER visits, zero hospital admissions for diabetes out of these 100 patients. That is unheard of. Experts say telehealth in Mississippi is positioned to grow, and like other services, healthcare online will become commonplace. Katherine Rodenmeyer, MPB News. For more on telehealth in Mississippi, tune in tonight for Southern Remedies Telehealth, a virtual lifeline at 9 on MPB TV.
Coming up after Mississippi Edition, it's Fix It 101, Everyday Tech and Southern Remedy. And remember, if you want to catch the show outside the broadcast, just search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app and listen whenever you like. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org.